Bank to the Future 2.0 with Chris Titley. Hi, it's Chris Titley here as part of the Bank to the Future 2.0 podcast series. I'm joined by Chloe White, Managing Director of Genesis Block. Chloe, thanks so much for being part of this series again. Great to see you again, Chris. I can't believe it's been so long. Uh, that's right. And now you're on the other side of uh, of the world today. I, I, uh, we're, we're getting you at uh, uh, early in the morning. Is that right? That's right. Um, 9 a.m. in Sweden. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, Chloe, we did interview you as part of the first series. Uh, it was episode number 46. It was in November of 2021. Let's talk about what's happened since November 2021. It was a crazy couple of years there, but now we're... Yeah, out the other side, but keen to keen to get an update. It's been an absolute roller coaster ride. There's so much to catch up on. We'll go through the highs and lows. The last time that we caught up, um, the crypto markets had been doing quite well. Um, there'd been a lot of volatility throughout 2021, um, and I was about six months into um, the the work that I was doing with Genesis Block, supporting a lot of Australian uh, crypto startups um, on the policy development work that was happening under the That's former right. Liberal government yep. in Australia. And um, I was very pleased with um, the take-up of, of services and was really enjoying growing out the business. I was very pleased that I um, won the, the Professional Advisor of the Year and Leader of the Year um, in December. And then coming into 2022, there was a lot of optimism. Um, Australia's international borders reopened. I really took advantage of that and have been traveling basically nonstop. <laughs> um, but I think that, um, you know, we can't, we can't deny there were some major failures in 2022 for the industry as well. And so there's been a lot of adaptation, um, not only on my part, but of everybody who's working and building in this space, um, the collapse of a very popular project, uh, Terra Luna, around the middle of last year, uh, was quite a concern for the industry and drew a lot of attention to stable coins. And so there's been a lot of international policy development work happening in the stable coin space. Um, and then towards the end of the year, we also saw that FTX um, was was not, in fact, um, the, the good operator that everybody mm. thought that they were and that um that really created as well quite a terrible uh end to the year um in a in a period a six-month period that had already been quite tough for the industry the macro environment has affected the sector greatly as well uh, fluctuations in monetary policy and interest rates um and the tech recession of last year had a huge impact on on the fintech and crypto markets so all of that has created quite a difficult environment, um, but there certainly have been some uh, some positive stories. Yeah. A couple of things that particularly were encouraging to me out of 2022 um, was some of the progress that was made in policy and regulation in various jurisdictions around the world. Um, I myself spent a lot of time working with the Dubai government, helping them to set up and launch a new crypto licensing regime. And they've got a really interesting experiment underway, running the world's first crypto bespoke regulator. Right. And uh, those those licenses um, and regulations launched uh, fully in February this year. So it's been um, very exciting to watch that into its implementation phase. Um, also, the institutional adoption of crypto was something really fascinating to watch over the last couple of years. And my jaw was on the floor at Singapore FinTech Festival last November, seeing 
some of the examples, um, JP Morgan was probably my favorite story out of the mix and how they leapfrogged Ethereum and went straight to some of the newer technologies available in the market to experiment with uh, DeFi, um, which is essentially um, smart contract enabled fintech. And uh, that really excited me a lot. So there's been um, also a lot of uh, what we might call traditional Web2 corporations who've been very keen to dip their toe into Web3 and NFTs and basically just willing to experiment and see how can they use some of this technology to um, offer different um, products and services to consumers and grow loyalty um, in their in their retail consumer base. So some really um, some really broad, diverse experimentation happening on the institutional side. Um, I am now based out of Dubai. And uh, I'm really enjoying being in that market. It's got a lot of momentum and growth behind it. It's been one of the more optimistic, high energy places to be working on digital assets over the past 12 months. Um, the government there has been very willing to uh, to throw together, um, I think, uh, a lot of experts from different parts of the world and different parts of the industry to collaborate to build out their ecosystem um, all within the context of um, of, a, of a comprehensive regulatory regime so I'm I'm really enjoying being involved in that uh, community and uh, and just watching and seeing I guess you know what's going to happen in um, in the US in the EU with their mica um, system that has passed Parliament and a lot of developments happening in Asia as well so um, I do talk to Australians every day. And uh, most of my client base is still Australian, although I've been very pleased to have expanded my services um, outside of Australia in the past year. Um, but I do notice that in the Australian market, things are a little bit uh, slower um, and the mood has been a little bit um, a little bit flat. And uh, mm. since the Labor government also um, came in to, to power in Canberra, the policy development work has slowed down um, quite a bit. But there is still certainly some some progress happening not at the pace i think that the industry would like um but still i think the the international competition and pressure is always um good to keep keep a little bit of a fire under it yeah no and, and chloe you mentioned about the work you're doing in dubai and and from a an outsider that's not overly technical when it comes to to blockchain and cryptocurrency you know my understanding is obviously it is unregulated it is global it's the movement of money but then you've got countries working towards reform and processes and and and, and regulation i mean how how intuitive or counterintuitive is regulation on blockchain and cryptocurrency versus the unregulated people who early on potentially adopted it because it wasn't regulated yeah it's a, it's a great question and it comes up a lot and the way that i that i look at this is how can we actually use the advantages of blockchain technology for a win-win, um, how can we actually take advantage of the the transparency and the immutability to get assurances about compliance and trustworthiness um, and risk management as mm. well? Um, and how can we use the technology to achieve all of that while still affording people uh, privacy and freedoms that they don't necessarily get in traditional finance or um, traditional internet, um, uh, where they may be giving away a lot of their sensitive and personal information it's not always held securely mm. um, and it's not always used in ways that um, society is comfortable with and so i think the opportunity here is to take the the benefits of the technology and say well we can actually secure people's data in a better way we can give them more choice and more control over 
how much information they reveal about themselves or where that information might be stored. Um, we can allow um, governments also to use these tools in ways that help improve their relationship with yep. um, citizenry and business. So I don't think that um, it's necessarily the case that regulation wipes out any of those benefits. I think actually there can be um, a really nice win-win. It depends, of course, on how policies are designed and the intent of the policy. Mm -hmm. And so it does require um, policymakers to understand the potential of the technology, the ways in which policy and regulation can um, help or hinder uh, these different um, possibilities and making sure that there's some intentionality behind wanting to to leverage the benefits and um, and cap and capture those win-wins. So I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about it. Um, the experience that I had helping the Dubai government develop their policy framework was a really good um, real-life test case for some of these concepts. And so, you know, one of the core principles behind that regime is that um, there's no need to discriminate against any particular protocol or algorithm as long as you have a principles-based regime where it's very clear what the conduct expectations are um, and making sure that there, there are informed consumers, that they can make informed um, choices and give consent um, with, with all of that transparency in place. Um, and, you know, of course, a system of um, audits and reporting that is on-chain as well as off-chain. Yep. And that's where we sort of see that there is this crypto bespoke nature to the design of the framework that does have that um, that intent behind it. And I would really hope uh, that as policymakers become more sophisticated, which which they are around the world, that we can have some of these more nuanced conversations. Of course, there's always some politicization in <laughs> um, almost any policy yep. conversation, and there has been a lot of fear-mongering um, and moral panic about um, some of the potential nefarious activity in the space. Um, there are a lot of different research um, groups who are constantly monitoring the space to understand what is the landscape of nefarious activity um, and how widespread it is. And we consistently see from these various data sources that um, we we have actually very low rates of crime uh, on-chain. And, uh, and so I think that you know, it's it's pretty clear if you look at the industry, um, what people are trying to build and why. Um, overall, the intention is clearly one of wanting to use technology to emp empower people, empower consumers, give them more choice, make systems more efficient. Um, and I think that's why, um, as I said, we've seen um, a lot of these traditional corporations want to experiment with how they can integrate this technology into their offerings. And Chloe, in our discussion a few years ago, we talked about um, entrepreneurial use cases of the blockchain. You did talk touch on smart contracts then. It's been a couple of years now. You know, we've, we've seen locally the ASX sort of pull out from their blockchain um, upgrade of chess project. We've seen a couple of sort of false starts, et cetera. But how are you feeling about the, the use cases of, of the blockchain and smart contracts and the adoption into sort of mainstream everyday life? Back in the era of the national blockchain roadmap, I always said that the market will decide and uh, and then we had this insane bull run and you know I think a lot of people felt that crypto had um, had kind of gone mainstream everybody was talking about it and knew what it was to some varying degrees and so I look back at that now and say well what did the market decide where did we land um, and and I think that because there has been such a, a broad and diverse take up of various use cases um, we can see that there certainly is the potential for a, a lot of those traditional corporations to take advantage of these use cases across 
Um, finance and fintech is, of course, the the use case that I remain the most passionate about. But the use cases in the in the retail space, I think we saw quite some good uptake there. The use cases that have been slower have been more on the B2B side. Okay. And yep. so I think there was a lot of um, enthusiasm a few years ago, um, for example, around supply chains and uh, and those sorts of um, B2B tracking things Logistics. on the blockchain. Yep. And that that hasn't um that hasn't picked up in the same way as as the um, B2C um, and the fintech use cases. And and moving forward and putting your hat on for a year or two and hopefully we catch up a little less, a little more frequently than we have in the past uh, about use cases, are you still really confident around, you know, uh, entrepreneurs coming in and creating use cases and then these companies getting funded, taking off and people going, oh, wow, this is really, really good? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most mature examples of this on the builder side is there is no longer the infighting um, in the community, the developer community, about which open source protocols and settlement layers are going to win. There's been an acceptance of this multi-chain thesis, which is the idea that there are going to be a number of different ecosystems that will all thrive for their own merits. And so a lot of the um, innovation on the technology side has moved towards building um, bridges, cross-chain bridges. Um, And there's been a lot of investment um, that's flooded into that particular um, business model. And that's that's been um, a really, a really good sign, I think, about the the future of the industry. Um, When we talk as well about um, the cross-section between AI. Um, and other emerging technologies. Obviously, there's a huge amount of interest in AI now. Mm. Um, I personally have been using AI to help with human readability and interpretability of smart contracts and have been finding that um, to be a really fantastic use case of AI in in the blockchain context. And I think there's going to be a lot of crossover um, between, between those two emerging technologies um, so looking forward, I definitely think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. It has been um, a long, difficult bear market for this industry. So it's a good time to look around and say, well, what has survived? What is what is still here and still growing um, after the, the disappointment um, and collapse of the hype of last year? And uh, so, you know, it's, I think a lot of the um, less valuable use cases have, have been washed out. Yep. Um, and now it's it's a time to see what is what is the serious uh, future of this industry. And so uh, you know it's a it's a it's a good time to be um, learning about the space. I think while there is not um, all of that noise um, for the people who are curious, uh, you'll certainly see that there's there's no slowing down when it comes to innovation, um, new ideas, and still um, absolutely a lot of interest in um, the stablecoin use case, which I think continues to dominate. Um, on the fintech side. And Chloe, with all these ups and downs through the last couple of years that we've talked about, I mean, you, you could say it's you know, natural in a in a newer technology or a newer type of, you know, ecosystem where things go up and things are down and you, you're bad actors and good actors, et cetera. You, you know, quietly confident that things are normalizing to a degree and then, then moving forward, you know, as you mentioned, there could be, you know, really consistent use cases of, of you know, retail adoption as well as you know, enterprise adoption. Um, I would say I would say that when I look at what institutions are doing now in the current environment, um, they're interested in custody solutions. Okay. They're interested in tokenizing real world assets. 
not in the supply chain sense that we were talking about five years ago, but in terms of real world financial assets and bringing liquidity and fractionalization to traditional financial markets. Um, And I had the joy of helping an asset manager in Singapore earlier this year to tokenize um, their investments for their they're sophisticated investors as um as a, a perfect example of that use case and i'm really excited for them um and and talking to other clients about these um these traditional financial assets and um, tokenizing them to take them to to other markets so those sorts of use cases are something that i i think it's important to note the fact that institutions are moving forward with those even in current market conditions yep. And um, and so that's something that I think we can say is going to have some longevity alongside um, the stablecoin use case that I mentioned. There's also still a lot of work happening on central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Um, this is probably um, the area that has seen the most collaboration in the Australian market um, when it comes to um, industry and um, and certainly the RBA collaborating together on the payment side and uh, a lot of progress happening on payments policy in Australia with um, two different consultations by the Treasury this year so far. So those are some things that I would point to to say, you know, there's there's something in this um, and, uh, and we can expect that to grow and strengthen. In terms of retail, I do think that there's a validation of the B to C use case, seeing all of the money that was generated by Web3 projects that Web2 corporates rolled out um, obviously, the general hype around cryptocurrency markets fueled a lot of that, but some really interesting, important lessons that were taken out of those experiments. And we are still seeing announcements um, from these Web2 corporates that they are looking at the future of uh, of Web3. And and I, you know, I one thing that I think is a really underrated use case that I really hope we see a lot of growth in is the intersect between blockchain and data security. I'm disappointed that there hasn't been mm, um, more investigation in that, especially in light of um, you know some of the major data leaks that have happened in Australia. Yes, for in the sure. Past. There's been heaps. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah, so I think that there's a real untapped opportunity in that space, and um, and so that's something that. It, it, it hasn't taken off, but um, it's something I'm keeping an eye on. Chloe, it's been a pleasure chatting to you and catching up. Uh, it's been a couple of years, as we mentioned before, um, and congratulations on all, all the growth of your particular business. And obviously now that you've relocated over to, to Dubai and, and the work that you're getting from international clients, not just Australian clients. Um, really look forward to probably be a little while before we catch up in person again, but it's been a pleasure having a chat today and look forward to catching up. Good to see you. Thanks, Chris. This podcast is for general information purposes only and does not take into account anyone's personal circumstances.